Hello and welcome to Empowered, the empowerment podcast where I, Imogen Barnes, embrace the power of the human spirit, storytelling, and the unity that comes from lived experiences. Tune in to be informed, inspired, and above all, hope instilled. Phenomenal people and welcome back to Empowered. It is a true pleasure to be greeting you all again. Podcasting has evolved to become my favorite hobby, honestly. So welcome to the official first episode of season two of Empowered. How exhilarating. (laughs) I know this season is one that will bring us all inspiration, vulnerability, and a lot of hope. On that note, we're kicking off this remarkable new season with an equally remarkable guest. Today, it is my honor to be sharing a powerful conversation I have with the most incredible, fully recovered eating disorder advocate, author, speaker, and therapist-to-be, Lucy Waldman. For a bit of context, I've known Lucy virtually for years and have had the privilege of watching her grow, evolve, and become this spectacular person that she is today. It was a bit surreal, actually, to be speaking with her in real time and relaying how much progress she's made in her journey, particularly because we actually exist on opposite ends of the world. So it was quite, quite remarkable to be like sitting here having conversations. It was amazing. And I can thank technology for that. Thank you, modern technology. You definitely have your perks. Now, Lucy is going to share some of like the most insightful advice tailored towards individuals navigating their own eating disorder recovery journey and also individuals just suffering from broad spectrum perfectionism or a lack of motivation. She's also really incredible at speaking about dream chasing. She will make you want to chase your dreams. You're going to love this episode. Now, before we do kick off, I'd like to give you a bit of a trigger warning like my episodes usually do. If the discussion of eating disorders and mental health struggles are topics that impede your peace, please do click away now and protect your serenity. Should you need a helping hand after listening though, I will link support services in the show notes that you can access below. I will also link all the information that you can use to find Lucy herself so that you can connect and talk to her and be be friends. I know you're going to want to after this conversation. And oh, I just know that she has so much to offer the world and I'm so proud of her. So here she is. So welcome, beautiful Lucy. So I want to start off by you telling us your name and then something that makes you feel really powerful. My name is Lucy and something that makes me feel really powerful It's interesting thinking about the word power and like I ran this giveaway last month and seeing my book land in other people's hands 
like I love when people like get my book and like send me a picture of it and that's like my favorite thing and um just like seeing like how it could change someone else's life because I know for me writing it was a completely transformative experience and that other people could benefit from that just makes me so happy oh my goodness it's like seeing how widespread your influence is and how profound it really is that's so extraordinary um one other icebreaker before we get started do you have any particular memory that just gives you warm and fuzzies you know that you're just like oh such a crazy happy memory this summer um I we had all had a very challenging day I worked at an overnight camp and my boss was like I have to thank for you and she turned on I don't know what if you know what Saturday Night Live is it's like almost like a comedy skit and we watch Saturday Night Live for literally hours and like the best inside jokes came out of it like we literally got t-shirts and had like Saturday Night Live posters all over the office for the rest of the summer and it was just like one of those nights of like everyone like laughing together and sort of laughing at like how stressed we all were but like using that to unwind that it always brings back like such like warm and fuzzy memories oh I love I love both of those things I just I really wanted to center this new season of the podcast around things that are you know fulfilling and that give life this beautiful essence and that encourage us to be powerful and to step into our own power and those two things are just the best thing way we could have started this podcast that is just incredible also I realized at the beginning I was like so welcome Lucy and then will you like to say your name and then I was like oh Imogen you really just really didn't leave that <laughs> well done okay so let's let's just delve into this powerful conversation do you want to start by telling us who you are what your story is where you're from and what you do I'm Lucy. I'm from the United States. And right now I'm an author of The Joss of Becoming. And I'm also training to become a recovery coach for eating disorders and eventually an eating disorder therapist. I struggled with my anorexia my entire teen years. I'm 21 now and I've been recovered for two. And after recovering, I just sort of decided that I really wanted to give back to this community in a way that like I saw certain pieces missing from my own recovery and I was like I want to be that person that fills those pieces for like the next generation of recovering people and it's just been so great to learn from other people and like meet the most incredible people and like give wisdom on my story that can help them. Wow, you are so incredible. And I'm so glad that you were able to talk about your book, your incredible book, The Jots of Becoming, which I will link below in the description for our listeners, because you are so profound in the way that you write and the way that you articulate yourself. And I know that that book is going to be so influential in the lives of so many, and it already is. And like you said, seeing it in the hands of other people, having that impact must just be so amazing of an experience for you and so like coming full circle you know you went through the hardest of hard experiences and now you're 
giving back to those people in ways that you wish you had have been cared for during the time that you were going through it exactly like and I really was coming full circle because I used so many of my old journal entries to sort of at the start of my book like the first entry like the first chapter is a letter I wrote to myself when I started recovery and like it was like that moment and I sort of thought like was my moment of starting and being like, I am now going to try something new and starting to part ways with my eating disorder. And for a while, like I journaled constantly, but my journaling wasn't helpful when I was struggling with my eating disorder because I just wrote like pages and pages of rambling thoughts about like food and calories and all of that. And I remember actually getting journals confiscated and treatment for like stuff I would write in them. And then having like actually having then my writing published. It's yeah. like, wow. It's like, oh, you've come. I don't know about you, but I thought I would never recover. So like, it's crazy to me now that like, I'm two years recovered. Not only that, you're two years recovered and you are well and truly on your way to helping others reach that place of recovery. Like you have gone above and beyond recovered. You are just nothing shy of extraordinary. That means so much coming from you. Thank you. Oh, stop. No, it is. It's such an honor to have you. And I can just, I can appreciate how far you've come. And I just know how powerful you're going to be in the lives of other people and I feel so blessed to be in a world with you because it's it's a better place with you in it. Thank you. <laughs> it's a better place. And I'm like, it's a be- I want to be like, it's a better place with you in it too. And I truly, I truly mean that. Oh, so you're so beautiful. It's like, ah, uh, or so many warm and fuzzies. I feel like I could use this conversation as my little warm and fuzzy moment. Um, do you feel comfortable sharing us? sharing with us your experience with your eating disorder um, and your journey and how you have come to where you are today? Yeah, um, I struggled with body image and anxiety from a real young age since I was a child, actually. I remember um, I would get so nervous and when I would get anxious that I would throw up and I was just like then I automatically associated with anxiety of I can't eat when I'm anxious or I'm going to throw up so like over time I think the connection between restriction and decreasing my anxiety levels like started to formulate and I remember like doctors saying like oh you should since I'm very short like oh you should like be on a smaller side and having a wee fit growing up. And it's planted the seed very much for forming an eating disorder. And when I went to a magnet program for middle school, just like a more advanced program, it became harder to have time to eat. And when I started running in eighth grade, when I was about 13, it sort of cascaded into an eating disorder especially when I joined cross country because like all that exertion and just like not feeling your body led to um, my diagnosis, which was a very hard way to be like 
diagnosed because I had just gotten a concussion from passing out and hitting my head. And then I was diagnosed with an eating disorder and a concussion. And it took a while to get treatment. Because treatment here, there's a lot of options, like in some parts of the United States. But the United States is very big and everything's very far apart. So in my city, we had no options. I went into the hospital when I was 15 and it didn't help that much because it was one of those places where you gained the weight and then you left. And so for a while I thought treatment like wasn't worth it. And because I just thought they were gonna make me gain weight and then send me home. And when I was 18, I had to leave university and go back into treatment. And that was really, really hard because like university and school is one of my favorite things. And I flipped out of in and out of treatment for a year. I really struggled with like in treatment. I found it very, very difficult with the way treatment was structured and set up to find motivation to recover. But eventually like something clicked. I always think it wasn't as much of a, I want to recover clicking. It was more of a, I'm just so sick of having an eating disorder. Like I saw that it wasn't getting me anywhere. So I thought recovery might be better than this, but I almost thought nothing could be worse than this. And over time I recovered and when COVID hit, I just remember putting all, I was really worried about that, but I was like, I'm not going to let this re cause a relapse. And I just sort of started putting all my time and energy into recovering and, and running my own challenges and really trying to like keep my head above water. And over time, like I felt my eating disorder really start to fade away. And I just remember one moment, like thinking like, wow, I haven't had any urges or thoughts in so long, like I'm recovered. And it was just one of those really cool moments of realizing that it was harder to go back than it was to nourish my body. Wow, that is really, really profound right there, isn't it? It's like recognizing, hold on, I've been in this cycle for so long of these behaviors and these experiences, and I'm not getting anywhere that's fulfilling me. Like what would happen if I maybe changed and did something else. And I think that's that when people talk about motivation, I feel like clinicians are always like, oh, they need to be motivated to recover. And I actually like really like vehemently disagree with that, that you have to be motivated to recover. I just think you need to be motivated for something. Like it doesn't really matter like what it is, is like, as long as you're not motivated towards your eating disorder, if it's, I'm motivated not to have an eating disorder anymore, or not to cry at the sight of my favorite food, like that's a starting point. And I, I feel like truly that's enough. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that you don't actually have to be like, I'm ready to recover. I'm fully ready. I'm ready to ditch my eating disorder. You just have to be willing to try something else. Yeah. Would you like to talk about your experience actually going to college and balancing college and, you know, study with an eating disorder and recovery? 
I feel like college is one of those things that you have to be in a good place with your recovery for it to be worthwhile and rewarding. Because like when I was like totally taken over my by my eating disorder, like I found time to study and all of that, but my social life completely went like I had no social life because I pretty much had my appointments and my studies and nothing else. And at the time, no amount of appointments could bring me out of where I was with my eating disorder. But when I went back to school, one of my favorite ways to balance studying and school with social activities was either meeting people at like a coffee shop or studying at a coffee shop or studying like near your kitchen. Because if you're near food, it feels like there's not as much of an excuse to restrict. Like versus studying in a library, like study at a coffee shop because then you can't be like, there's no excuse to skip your AM snack. Like you have food, like there's food there, like go and get some. And even if it felt really hard, like just making it more, making recovery as easy and manageable as possible. And especially during finals, like I know it can be so tempting to like have these crazy study hours of really trying to stick to a normal routine and realizing like that's enough. Like studying for 18 hours really isn't going to help you if you're not nourished or you're sleep deprived. And really like took me a while to realize like putting self-care first actually helps you you and your studying your grades and you feel a lot better about it and it doesn't hurt you because I know like if I got like a good grade and I studied for like hours upon hours and my eating disorder didn't feel like enough like I would get the A and I'd be like cool whatever like I was expecting that or I'd be disappointed that I'm like oh I planned for not getting an A and now I have no reason not to punish my body. Wow. Yeah, I know. And it's so, it's so, um, I mean, I can relate so much in what you've said and like an eating disorder will take advantage of so many of the aspects of college and study and school in general life, like busyness or, you know, the need to be preoccupied with exams, you know, it just like, latches on these to these excuses is like cool this will enable my behaviors and my cognitions and so it could be so like little things like you said like setting yourself up to re- succeed in recovery so making yourself study in a cafe or in the kitchen and then just be have food accessible you know so that your eating disorder kind of take advantage of the fact that it's not you know it's like little things like that make the really overall really difficult process a lot easier and I remember when I had classes during snack times when I first started recovery I would literally bring my snack to class because I knew if I didn't like I I knew if I told myself oh I would do it after my eating disorder would come up with any excuse not to do it after so like really like eating I feel like the dieting community use disciplined so much but like I feel like eating disorder recovery takes like so much more discipline than like any like amount of restricting things because recovery like the discipline would be like oh it's 
this time, like I have to make myself eat this snack. Uh, for me, it was like keeping everything very structured was how over time I started to let go of all the structure of what, realizing like my body and my mind could trust itself to nourish it. That's so, so, so informative and also just so helpful to think like, no, I need structure now and I need structure to enable my recovery. I need to be, you know, almost sometimes providing that element of structure means like you don't have to think so much, you know, there's not so much opportunity for an eating disorder thought to slip in and take over, you know, having that, I'm just going to take my snack. I know what I'm going to have. I know what time I'm going to have it. I'm going to consume it no matter what my eating sort of says, and then I'm going to move on so much easier than just not taking the snack at all and then being umming and ahhing about what you're going to have and what time. And, oh, I totally understand. Um, how do you feel about perfectionism in the realms of eating disorder recovery and also in study? Because I know that a lot of us sufferers, you know, we tend to be perfectionistic in our personality traits as it is, you know, and we can channel that into our eating disorders and our study endeavors. So what was your experience like? I struggled a lot with that. For a long time, I always felt like nothing was enough and that correlated to my body and to my studying. Like my weight was never low enough. My, also, my grades were never good enough. And it really much fed off each other. Like if I didn't get the perfect grades I took it out of my body but then if I did I still like didn't feel like it was good enough and I was in a high school and middle school environment where perfectionism was like the norm perfectionism what was expected like everyone had like these perfect grades and took like a million classes and unless you got like everything right you couldn't like pass a class and it was a very stressful experience. And I think it's something that stuck with me for a very, very long time. And over time, I had to, I've tried to actually challenge like my perfectionism when it comes to school of like, if I'm satisfied enough with my grade of like making myself not do the extra credit when I don't really need it. Yeah, absolutely. And giving yourself that permission to be not absolutely perfect all of the time you know sometimes it's settling with being just like okay you know it's okay and that's good enough and realizing you don't need like to go above and beyond for everything like there's no like reward of getting like straight perfection and because I know with my perfectionism and my eating disorder I always took it like so far of it wasn't even like an A was enough for me. It was like, no, I have to get that 100. Yeah, the goalposts keep moving, don't they? Yeah, the goalkeeper, they kept moving. It started with one thing and then eventually. And I think that's the hard thing about an eating disorder is you think when I reach this next goal, it will be enough. And I noticed I did the same thing with school, but you got there and it didn't feel like enough. Oh, totally. And it's your eating sort of all your yeah your perfectionism is never satisfied there's always a step beyond and you never actually see that step beyond until you you know it's the next step does that make sense you know it's like oh I thought it would be satisfied here but I'm not I've got to keep going 
I remember I wrote some like part of my book I don't remember the exact words but it was like people think of perfectionism as like having to have like all their like colored markers in a row or like their book stack neatly and I was like that's not where perfectionism can be found it's literally like this voice in your head telling you I'm not enough I'm not doing enough that really follows you and convinces you that somehow like you're still not like measuring up even if you are oh absolutely that's so true and there are all of these like stereotypes almost based around perfectionism and it can be it can show up in ways that are not stereotypical and you might not even recognize it but it's really debilitating nonetheless nonetheless I don't know if you've heard some people used to say if you're asked in a job interview like what your biggest weakness is you should say you're a perfectionist because that means like you do a good job wow and I'm like never wow yeah that's really good that's real really messed up because they would think it means I'm gonna do a really good um good job but what it really means is I'm gonna have a typo on my document and be under my desk in tears yeah and like they're not gonna get what they expected oh my goodness that's so that is so good I love how you said that that is just like so true so relatable oh you mentioned okay so throughout your journey you mentioned you explored some higher levels of care and so I'm Australian and I'm aware that the levels of care are a little bit different in the United States versus Australia. So do you want to explain what they kind of look like and what your experiences were like with them? There's so many different levels of care here. I think there's six, um, ranging all the way from inpatient, which is sort of like your hospital where you're 24 seven care is pretty much like only focused on medical stabilization and that's sort of the difference between that and residential residential is also 24 7 like you live there but it's more of like a therapeutic approach like you have passes like you're in like the kitchen like you're helping to make the meals and some of them have movement and you have more therapy than you have doctor's appointments and then you have like day hospital like where you go for like most of the day. It's called PHP or partial hospitalization program. And then you go home at night and you have IOP, which you go for like three hours, maybe three times a week. And it's just supposed to be a little bit more support than like seeing a dietitian and therapist like while living at home. The level of care system like sounds great if you like have access to all the levels of care, but a lot of the times they don't make it that easy to step down from one to another because you have to like completely transfer programs. And one of the things I have to say, my one of my biggest challenges with residential is a lot of times residential treatment centers take on medically unstable clients who they're not equipped to handle and I was one of them so like a lot of the therapeutic benefits of residential treatment like pass it like where you get to go out or go to a restaurant or go on walks like I wasn't able to partake in because I had too many medical complications but they don't have the means to like help you 
like fix them so you're pretty much just like I don't want to say chilling and for a very what ends up happening is you just end up staying for a very very long time right yeah until like the problem sort of goes away on its own right oh I see that's it almost feels like you're being babysat right we're not actually yeah you're sort of like being babysat like someone I remember like helps you walk up the stairs but like they don't have like an elevator for like they're not equipped for a lot of the clients I take I don't know if it's like this in Australia the American healthcare system is purely based on making money Oh, that's so unfortunate. I know I'm very lucky in Australia that we have a really, uh, I mean, it's got its flaws, but our system, it, it, it's, it's better than that. It's not based on financial gain all of the time. And you sort of get a sense sometimes that it's, well, it's based on um, financial gain. And a lot of people I was lucky got cut, but got, had to leave their programs early because the, their insurance companies just stopped paying for it. Oh, wow. And, that's ridiculous. And I think that's where a lot of the... I had a post about this at one point, or I feel like some of the sick enough competition does come from Instagram and TikTok. And, but also some of the sick enough competition in America comes from the fact that insurance companies have these parameters that say, like, you can't... We won't pay for your treatment until you're at X weight or until your blood pressure is this. So people do feel compelled to get more sick to get the care they need and deserve. And it's not. And so like even when some people say like the problem with thinking like not sick enough is a person should not want to be sick. But it's like if wanting to be if being sick will get you the care that you need, then of course you're going to want to be sick. Oh my goodness, that is so, so problematic, isn't it? It's like an eating disorder has an existing, you're not sick enough um, narrative. And that's completely reinforced by something that's supposed to be in place to help you. You know, it's like, that is just absurd because we also know that the vast majority of the eating disorder population don't get to a place of medical instability or being underweight. And so being told that you aren't deserving or worthy or you know, requiring treatment until you're at a place where those, you know, medical manifestations of illness may or may not present, you know, like that's just, it's absurd because it means a lot of people are just never going to get treatment. And it's amazing how 10% get treatment when all you see on like the internet is like pictures of like, I remember when I was in like pictures of hospital and like all of that, when it's like such a little percentage of the population. And that's one of those things that's always so shocking to me. And I always try to weave a lot of that stuff out of my story because like, I know like it's so not essential to getting better. Like if I could have foregone all of that stuff and just focused on like healing my relationship with food and my body, like I totally would have. Yes. Oh, Absolutely. And I guess in like along those lines, then it's like, okay, so your motivation towards recovery and 
motivation in general I feel like it's just such a nuanced inconsistent kind of thing you know some moments you're like really motivated to recover and others you can be like you know the next moment you're just like I've got no incentive to recover at all right now you know so it's really tricky to navigate and also there are external um, motivators and there are internal motivators and would you like to you know break down these kind of concepts for us and yeah explain what it's really like external motivators can be helpful like sometimes in the beginning but I know for me it didn't help that much it's like I had that part of my eating disorder brain that like didn't respond to rewards or consequences like if you're like I'm gonna give you this for finishing a meal I'd be like yeah whatever like for me it really had to come from within and I realized for myself, motivation isn't as important as commitment. I'm realizing like, even if I had some reason, you know, a lot of the times it was like social, like I had started to form in my recovery, really close relationships. And I was like, in order to keep those close relationships, I knew I had to be in recovery because my eating disorder sabotaged my relationships before and just like having some of that but I feel like it's such a mix of internal and external and I feel like the phrases like motivation or choice are like should be said with like so much more nuance because like if it was such like an easy choice like everyone would recover but it's really like having to have enough trust and commitment to take that step and realizing like you'll be okay and like really planning and preparing for it for it because like every meal is like really three steps it's the before the meal the during the meal and the after the meal that you have to really think about and it's like every action requires so much like thinking and it's just like such a process of you don't have to have the motivation but you have to like have the insight and awareness to keep going through this process and patience because it's not going to happen overnight. Wow. Uh, I just feel like just like taking all of that and like putting it on a billboard, especially the part about change and motivation, because like you said, if it was as simple as that, everyone would be like, cool, I'm choosing to recover now. Thank you. I'm motivated. Yeah. It's so much more complex than that. And I feel like a lot of times when clients get motivated, like labeled as like unmotivated or like not choosing to recover, it's a lot of the time they don't feel safe to make that choice. They don't feel that like if they make the choice, they're going to feel supported afterwards and don't have like the tools they need to like feel capable within themselves. And, And I've just realized like through going for my program, that like instead of berating clients are not feeling motivated already like we need to like focus more on asking what would empower you to feel ready like what like what's one thing like what's one thing you need right now and just focusing on like breaking it up because like no one while going through an eating disorder deserves beratement oh my goodness so true and no amount of shame or berating actually lends itself to positive change anyway you know it doesn't actually get you anywhere it just makes someone feel really 
worthless and like they are not worth investing time in. I read some one article that said parents view when parents get their kids for engaging in an eating disorder, they're viewing the eating disorder as the problem, but the child is used viewing the eating disorder as a solution for being yelled at. And I'm like, that's so true because like eating disorders serve so much more of a role than just like appearance. And I felt like for me at a certain, I always got to a point where appearance didn't even matter to me anymore. Like it wasn't about like how thin I was or how like what jean size I wore. It was completely just like a self-medicated way to control my anxiety wow oh so true and unless you've been in that situation you've had the eating sort of yourself and you've recognized what role it actually plays I think it would be almost impossible to to not yeah I suppose like demonize the eating disorder does that make sense you know especially yeah you know like people are just like oh we need to punish this behavior, but it actually is serving a purpose in that person's life. Um, and it's not a matter of choice. It's like, no, it's keeping them safe from something. We need to work out what that is and find a more adaptive way of keeping you safe from it. And I feel like a lot of times treatment centers in the United States work a lot on rewards and punishments. Like a lot of them have level systems or I've heard of some of them where there's, if you like stop being compliant you get like your phone taken away or you have to be in your room for like 24 hours I've like heard of so many different things like that that I feel like sometimes recovery gets like so enmeshed into moving up the levels and it does of like actual recovery and then you discharge and you're like what now like I'm no longer recovering to pee in privacy so when, what am I recovering for now? Oh, my goodness. Yes. And then the same way, it's like, oh, that's, a, that's exactly right. Like no one claps their hands for you when you are discharged and says, yeah, you ate your lunch. You know, now you can go out and see your, go on leave and see your friends. You know, that doesn't happen. And you, you actually need to be taught in when you're in care what your intrinsic factors motivational factors are so that you can carry them with you into the like into the real world for lack of a better word and realize why it's worth recovering you know why you're doing it I wish like someone would have told me like you should be so proud of yourself instead of like clapping your hands like for you being like this is a big feat I hope you understand how big it is and you should be so proud of that. And like more of like internal reflection is I know that's when I really started to gain a lot of motivation like for my own recovery was when I sort of saw like how far I had come and I was like, wow, this is so cool. I can keep going. And this sort of like, I loved seeing like progress and feeling like I was like actually proud of it versus fearing it and realizing like I could do more because I feel like there's some of these points where you get so stuck and if someone instead of saying like why are you stuck being like you have come to here but you can still keep going 
Yes. Oh, that's extraordinary. And just recognition of how hard you've tried and the strength that you have and your ability to keep going, like you said. Do you have any um, any advice or any tips on maintaining intrinsic motivation throughout recovery? One of the ways I maintain intrinsic motivation was like at a certain level in order to have intrinsic motivation, you have to have a lot of like self self maintenance of like, for me, I noticed I felt a lot better and a lot more motivated when like I got a good night's sleep or I was showering on a regular basis and wearing comfy clothes helped me a lot. And removing anything that could possibly be harmful to my recovery gave me sort of like a clean foundation of being able to form that intrinsic motivation and giving myself things to look forward to whatever was just like a call with a friend or um informing relationships outside of the recovery community uh I remember like a huge pivotal moment for me was since I had been in treatment for so long I felt like I'd only had treatment friends but then I reached out to a friend a close friend from my job over the summer and she's still my best friend to this day but I remember talking to her for like at least an hour while I was in treatment and seeing that I could form relationships and I can move away from like the eating disorder world gave me so much more motivation to try and realizing like that there is a whole world like there is a whole world that doesn't care and doesn't want you to be sick enough that doesn't like have all these thoughts about food and your body and just like allowing yourself to like be in a world is like so motivating oh I love that as well and being a part of that like it's so liberating to be among people who like it's beautiful it's so connection fostering to be with people who also have eating disorders or have that experience but it's something else when you're in that when you're in that the thick of recovery yourself and you're able to spend time with people that don't have eating disorders and then you realize that there is a whole life and the ability to have a whole life beyond body image and food and worries and anxieties, you know, and it's, it's empowering to be around those people. And you're just like, wait, there is a life not consumed by this. And, you know, these people have it and I'm able to make it for myself as well. I think that's, that's so cool. And having those, yeah, normal I don't like to use the word normal but little like normal things in life just to look forward to and to be a part of and it helps compartmentalize so much like for me like the journaling like right after a meal like writing down every feeling is wasn't helpful for me like ruminating over like what and thinking about recovery 24 seven, like didn't actually help me as much as like having these designated times either with my therapist or at night, like I, sp- I still spend an hour journaling, but it started like when I was in recovery to have like a designated time to like put all my thoughts together versus making it like an every moment thing. Because I feel like when you feel so consumed in it, it's hard to think that there is anything else. Oh, absolutely. And when it is dictating your every moment, absolutely, you don't see a life beyond it. Do you um, consider yourself to be 
fully recovered Lucy? Is that something you identify as or is that something you like even a, a title that you align with? I think it's a title I definitely align with um, just because I've seen how little space my eating disorder takes up in my life. Like it will always be a part of my history. Like I will always be someone who had an eating disorder and it shaped my life in so many ways. And the shape, it definitely shaped my passion for wanting to help people with eating disorders. But I, I've noticed in so many situations where my eating disorder used to take so much power, whether it was jean shopping or my schedule being off, that now like it feels so natural going through these situations. Like I can go to an airport and just order food from anywhere, even if there's numbers on the menu and realizing like those numbers don't define me and just like having no like emotional reaction to them. And I've had moments like where I've seen other people like struggling with their eating disorders and struggling with their eating disorder. And I used to like feel like triggered by it or like feel more anxious about it. But now I'm able to like step into like almost a helping place and it's just very different. So I think recovered is like such an interesting word to me because it's not like you're recovered from a broken arm. It's not like my bone broke and then they put a cast on it and now it's the same bone that it was before. Like I'm completely shaped because of my eating disorder, but I really think recovery is should be viewed as it doesn't affect your life anymore. Like you're still a person with emotions and still you're a person with a viewed set with different passions because of it but you're not like run by this like voice in your head yes oh that's so thank you for like elaborating on what it actually is like to be fully recovered because I feel like you can say oh yes I'm fully recovered and sometimes it's almost meaningless unless you say what that means and what that means like what your life gets to look like because of that and the, the gift that that is to you you know and especially I know you know when I was like in the midst of my eating disorder fully recovered to me just meant eating and being you know healthy mentally and physically and it didn't actually mean having a like like you said all this beautiful life that exists beyond it and these experiences and these ability to pursue things it it was just like yeah I'll be healthy and eating that's all recovery is so thank you for actually being like no it's more than that of course and I feel like it's something so important to talk about because I feel like when clinicians bring it up they talk about it as if it's your life currently minus your eating disorder and that feels really scary like when you're in your eating disorder thinking about that that like your eating disorder has this like placing your life and you're just removing it and you're like what goes in that space but I feel like the process becoming forward recovered is really pushing the eating disorder out like where you have such a full life and all these experience experiences and all these different ways of like feeling your feelings that you're like my eating disorder doesn't have a place it doesn't serve the purpose it used to yeah exactly oh my goodness I love that that recovery is not your life now 
with just without your eating disorder because I think your eating disorder wrecks your life more or less do you know what I mean and so become becomes this thing where it is your life it's the only thing that gives your life any you know source of that's where you source all your joy and all your purpose and all your fulfillment and so you imagine that being gone and your life and, and being nothing but misery and it's not like that at all and for me I literally visualized it like a hole and that like I'd almost like fall through this hole without my eating disorder and I think that's how it really feels for a lot of people that like it's just like serving this like anchor and it you can't survive without it but and I really like like thinking about like even when interacting with people who are still struggling that no one's asking you to like give it all up tomorrow it's just like the day by day inch by inch that you'll eventually push it out of the way and like viewing like recovery in such like a non-absolutist way is so beneficial I love that Lucy I love so much recovery is not just your life without your eating disorder it is full it is beaming it is new opportunities it is freedom it's liberation it's the ability to actually chase your dreams it's connection it's it's your life grows when your eating sort of leaves you think it'll shrink and you'll become less worthy and you know you'll be a void of any kind of passion or fulfillment but it's the opposite and all these things you think you're passionate when you're in your eating disorder, like aren't, like it's interesting to see like what's real passions and like what are actual true likes and what are just artifacts of your eating disorder. Because I think there are things that are like real likes, like genuine likes. Like I loved Grey's Anatomy in my eating disorder. I still love Grey's Anatomy. Um, and I have that, yeah. I have that as well. <laughs> But like certain foods or anything like that like you try like years later and you're like I can't believe I like that and it's just like interesting sometimes it's like such an interesting experiment to be able to sift out and figure out like what was real and what wasn't oh absolutely I can actually relate and provide something that's probably relatable to a lot of people but um similar at least I had this <laughs> burning ambition for some reason when I was in my eating disorder to write a cookbook and I recognize now that that was not a passion that was definitely malnourishment um manifesting itself in my everyday life you know it was like just a demonstration of my cave person brain trying to get me to eat um and yeah cooking and culinary science is is not a true passion of mine it was definitely a an eating disorder passion and it's funny that I recognize that now but at the time I was like no I, I've always loved this it's <laughs> what I was called to do it's it's that way for so many things they're thinking like oh I just love like I thought like I remember thinking my dream for a while was to run a marathon yeah and realizing that was and it's like I might want to eventually go back and try it again with from a new healthy perspective but I'm not I have no desire to like do all the training and all of that for a marathon no I completely agree I could like I I understand I resonate with that entirely it's like 
really looking back and reflecting upon your motives and also the things that you just know for a fact now like of course our minds we're going to be thinking about food and exercise kind of or movement sorry um endeavors and passions because it was looking for any excuse to abuse those behaviors and maybe we didn't appreciate it then but we can appreciate it now and I think you can look back at certain things and be like I remember doing this with my dietitian one of our last sessions talking about like our time working together of things that sound like so funny as a fully recovered person that like you got upset about but like were like such real things oh my goodness yes it was actually the be all and end all yeah She's like, remember when this happened and you just totally lost your mind? Yep. You're like, oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, well. Like, Lucy, what is your recovered life like now? What is, what do you do with yourself? You know, where is your passions? What sets your heart, sorry, what sets your heart on fire? I really love thinking about like how, I can use my experience to help other people in recovery. I really love interacting with, I speak at treatment centers. I love speaking on podcasts. I've loved um, doing things with my book, like doing my book giveaway, like set my soul on fire so much. And it was one of the most fun I had, like in my lifetime. I'm just like hearing all these people's stories and being able to help them in this way. I still write a lot. I love writing. I love reading. I love like puzzles and I'm like such a like project-based person and I get so excited about thinking my next project and like what I'm going to do next. And even as um as even as I'm finishing my um cover coaching program of thinking about writing the programs of like these modules that I'm going to use with clients one day and like writing the outline and all of that I get I just love that type of stuff oh that is so beautiful and it just sounds so fulfilling and like your world is so passion driven and full and happy and that you've really found your place and I love during my summer during the summers working at it's a very, it sounds very niche, but a Jewish science overnight camp. And it's just the best, like, eight weeks of my life. It's such, like, all my close friends are from there. I talk to them a lot, and they're all such, like, fun, nerdy, like, people, and so, like, passionate about the things that they're passionate about. And that's, like, the coolest thing about the community is it's not even, like, passion about science people have like all sorts of random passions and just getting to hear people talk about their passions and learning from other people is like so wonderful and fascinating oh it just makes you smile doesn't it seeing someone passionate about anything is really really inspiring it's even talking to kids about things they're passionate about oh yes and (laughs) hearing some of their passions and all of that and so we're seeing the growth in people is I've worked at the camp for three years now. So seeing like my first group, like literally start as children and grow into teenagers 
and it like makes your heart feel so big oh that's what like that is the best experience life can give you isn't it having a like warm fuzzy heart and I'm one of those people that's really driven by connection and I love like talking about things and like sort of learning through interacting and I think it's so much fun like meeting those people that are like just as passionate about something as you are oh absolutely it's so cool Lucy, what is like one, something that you'd like to say to someone that might be going through, you know, a time of hardship in their life right now that would encourage them to transform their own pain into power? I think sometimes one of the simplest things you can say is that you're capable of this and that you deserve better. Like just hearing that you deserve better than whatever hardship you're going through now. And that like, every step you take is one less to the end. Like you're, you're moving in the right direction. Just keep going that you'll eventually get there. Oh, that's so beautiful. You're, you've just been so amazing. It has been an absolute honor to have you on the show and you've spoken so much wisdom and you've been so inspiring and enlightening. And I cannot wait to collaborate more with you in the future because I know that you're going to move into this space even more and just be inspiring and healing and creating so much change so thank you so much for being here I will also link all of your your book your social media and everything about you in the show notes so that everyone can get in touch and I'm sure too when you are a clinician in the future or therapist you know a therapist and a coach that you are going to change lives in that realm I'm just it's so cool to call this world home with you in it thank you Lucy same goes for you it's such an honor to be here oh thank you so much